Everybody, welcome to the Midweek Podcast presented by Yoshimura Racing. I'm Don Maeda, and I'm here with my long, long-time friend, Jay Clark. I think, okay, 1990. Now, what, it wasn't that early. It would have been 93. Are you sure? Yeah, 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 because okay. I, I didn't get really get started. And you were at Cycle News yeah. around 93, right in there. Yeah, so I started Cycle News, and I remember you worked at Wiseco. Yep. And you sent me a... Uh, press release and had some photos of some pistons and you wrote yeah you can use these photos in cycling it's cool ken fought shop and i'm really good friends with him <laughs> and i have his permission to use them so well, there, that I, that's what i remember you guys is the guy that sent the press release saying i'm great friends with ken fought you can use these photos well yeah i had to uh you know things were a lot different and more difficult then you know yeah. actually physically mailing press releases out mm-hmm. and getting people to run with them. slides with, with a slide photo yeah, yeah. So, and you know, it's just, but you took it for granted. It wasn't any big deal. That's just how you did things. Yeah. Way, but well before social media and all that. Absolutely. Okay. So over three decades, we've known each other. Yeah. Um, you've gone through many different roles in the industry. You've been Wisco J. Yeah. Then you were Dunlop J or Hot Cams J yeah. or Ranch Rabbit J. But uh, now I just call you Dirt Bike TV. There you right? go. You've gone from being a, uh, a rep or, you know, someone that helps promote products. Yeah. And you still do that, but you've kind of become a, uh, a YouTube sensation. Yeah, and, and, and it was just meant to be a, kind of an addition for the companies that I work mm-hmm. for. So I work for all these companies, and um, they, they all, it, it's, been, it's a nice way to, you know, add additional promotion for them. You know, when I do something with you, and then I can also show it, and then I want to promote, all the media outlets that I work with too. So that that's kind of was the the thought. And mm-hmm. then the, on the social media side of things with Instagram and stuff, it's turned out that there's a lot of people that they're, they're not, we take for granted being around the industry. You know, you go around the race team shops and you see all the stuff that people do. Well, you take it for granted that uh, some basic mechanic type stuff, uh, a lot of people aren't aware of how to do it. And so we mm-hmm. show a lot of really basic stuff. And some people give me grief for showing really basic stuff. But that's some of our most popular things. That's, that's the timeless stuff that gets watched for years and years. Just just adjusting, you know, brake levers, clutch cable, throttle cable, adjusting things that, you know, you take for granted because you do it all the time. And then when you get a new bike that's a little different, you can figure it out pretty easy. So, mm-hmm. But not everyone knows that. Or just changing the oil tips on that for different bikes. And and so a lot of people in different areas, also where we're at, we, we're spoiled with all these, you know, all the, the shops and race teams. So in, in some areas, guys don't have much of a network. Uh, of other moto guys to mm-hmm. go, uh, you know, to go look at how they're doing it. So they're just, it's just very small network they have. So, so that's been really helpful. I think for what I do is people see a lot of that and it's been, it's been really cool. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's go back to the start. All right. Mm-hmm. I knew you as Wiseco J from the start. Like, uh, you just were a, uh, a remote employee for that company. Yeah. So I actually worked for Wiseco <laughs> and, and, and I pitched them on the idea. They were back in Ohio, and they had a warehouse, a small warehouse up in Santa Paula by Ventura. And one of the guys, the guy that was running the place, I talked to him. I go, hey, they need somebody out here representing them. You know, and I, I was think, trying to think of how to create a job. And uh, so it took me like a year of hounding, like in 92 or so, I started hounding uh, the company in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And uh, just some great people. Bob Anderson's was one of the key people there, and Bob Gorman, who owns Comedic. Uh, these guys were just great people and they're really good family, and um, and it took me like a year of talking to them, and then I finally got to meet them out. They came out here, one of them came out here for vacation, met them, and then they flew me back to Ohio and had and then hit it off. And 
I worked for him for like 12 years straight and we did you know i'd go to all the nationals and supercrosses help with the teams and, and mm. get banners up at the track and they call me sticker j or banner j because i'd always be oh yeah really aggressive on banners and, and uh, i worked hard at it and we did a good job and and then uh unfortunately the company got sold you know and, and and with what i've been doing the only reason i've changed companies i've never wanted to change companies is just because of people getting bought and sold and mm -hmm. so the company got sold but there were some changes so it was better for me to go off with uh, Kurt Leverton, a really good guy in Iowa who owned Hot Rods. And then he ended up buying, uh, he owns Pivot Works and Hot Cams, and mm -hmm. he, he, he ended up buying all these companies. Worked for him for uh, 15 plus years or whatever it was, right? And, and then he, you know, he sold and then got by, I don't want to say, you know, you know, big, big evil company or whatever. Right? Okay. So they all get, and that ends up happening, unfortunately. And, and, and there's not, I don't say there's nothing wrong with it, but for the most part, most of these companies kind of lose their soul a lot, you mm -hmm. know, and you know, you know what happened to White Brothers and, and it's happened at some of the other companies and it takes a while for them to write the ship. Eventually they do when they realize, Hey, we got to have some people that know the sport. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like this sport was built on enthusiasts and they think, and a lot of times I've learned that they think that those people like Tom White and, maybe even Donnie Emler or Mitch, they, they think these guys got lucky. You know, they, they, they these, it, it, it's, it's a deep rooted passion for right. your subject matter. Right. The same thing as me, like, right. So I started cycle news and then I went to dirt rider and then you started and an MX, started racer. MX racer. I, I was going to go through it for you. Yeah. But, but the whole thing is like <laughs> then when I got to Transworld, I was like, okay, this is my chance to build something from the ground up. Right. It's just so, yours. I made sure every employee I hired ever was a dirt bike rider. Right. Like, because you, you have a passion for the subject matter or the industry you're working, the product is better. It's yeah. genuine, right? Yeah. So that's that's why we're all in the dirt bike industry. It's like none of us are going to try to get rich. Right. right. And that's working on dirt bikes. And I get that question a lot. And, and one of the things that those big companies don't understand is um, that um, – that feeling, Kurt Leverton, he, he, we, we talk about this a lot, is that feeling on a Friday night when your part doesn't show up or you get the wrong part shipped to you, and you'd be willing to drive five hours to get the right part so you could ride on the weekend, right? Yeah. They, there's people that in, those, in these big companies now, they don't understand that feeling at all. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't get that what you've done now to a customer who now he lost. You go, oh, he just lost. He couldn't ride that weekend. He couldn't race. He couldn't ride that weekend. Whatever it was, there's always another race. Always, That's what they think, right? you know what? And there's when you have that passion into you, you're bummed when you miss out on a ride day or a race day, or a whole ride trip because of getting the wrong part or whatever problems. And so he understood that. And that's and and so now. When I left, I went back to the Weisco group, and, mm -hmm. and uh, there's some good people. And one of the good things that's happened at, at that group, this race-winning brands that has Weisco, ProX, uh, JE, Recluse, they have some really good companies, but they have a lot of enthusiasts still involved highly in the company. And, and mm -hmm. that's what's really nice. So, you know, that I think it takes some of these companies a while to figure that out, that we got to get these enthusiasts back in these key roles, and you have those enthusiasts there. And that's what's been helpful with the Weisco group. And, of course, Dunlop still has tons of enthusiasts all throughout it. So that's mm -hmm. been nice. And so I've had the 18, 19 years with Dunlop. with Dunlop. Yeah. And that's been good where I help them on the media side, as you know, with helping with like, you know, with you guys and other media outlets. And then all the bikes we build, of course, are all Dunlop. Yeah. It's kind of funny because you've essentially managed to make a living, a nice career out of fun. Yes. Kind of like myself, right? R right. But it's like, it's like I, I've never woken up on a Monday and gone, Oh, God, I gotta work. And and I and I, and that's way too. And I don't want to diminish it. It is a lot of work. Yeah. But it's 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 way better than digging ditches. So whenever I complain, yeah. that's what I always say. Like, 
it's it's better than a real job and and there's many times where i'm up you know till midnight i'm on the computer doing stuff and mm -hmm. and i and, and especially if i go riding a little bit more like that week's a little bit busier with riding then i'm you know i know you do too and you're paying the price doing stuff late at night uh, getting up early and doing stuff so that but that's some of the advantages we have and, and for me i've worked from home for over 30 years so yeah. that's been really cool it's funny because uh so at Transworld, right? Like obviously we had the burden of a magazine every month. So I bust my ass for like 10 days and get all the magazine work done and then have a lot of fun, right. you know? But then, you know, the website developed and stuff, but then it, it still was manageable, right? right. But uh, I never realized how stressed I was. Like, you know, I just said I was never regretting work Mondays, but towards the end, our last owner, like we had these Monday manager meetings, right? right. And I didn't realize it until I was free of that job. Yeah. Sunday about three o'clock, I would start getting stressed out. Like, what is my boss going to tell me I have to cut back on now? Right. Or what extra ridiculous project to generate revenue is going to be put in, off, in my lap, right? Right. Like, we had everything from selling these stupid notebooks for children in Brazil <laughs> with dirt bike photos on the cover or skateboarding. Like, all of us had to, Oh, like, my gosh. There were so many things to try to manage the, the uh, decline in print media revenue right. that they're trying to force us into doing. It was like, it was really discouraging and stressful. And, and, and I think, and, and what I'm amazed at now is how much content you guys put out here. So mm -hmm. like I know, look at the number of videos you guys put out. but It's because I don't have to do a magazine every month. Right. So you guys are able to do, you guys do so many things, you know, it's just like there's something, you guys have at least one, if not three to four things going up a day it's yeah. crazy so it's, i almost it's like like you're the youtube expert right like i almost think we need to create a second youtube channel so that we're not putting up multiple things on one channel right. per day I, I i don't know it's it's tough <laughs> because and youtube's gotten a lot tougher as far as that algorithm and different things but the, at the end of the day you guys are building your own followers they're going to want to see you know monday and they're, they're going to follow their segments that they want to see every week yeah so uh Okay, so then it was Dunlop for however many years now, too. Mm -hmm. It's funny because Weisco J, that name stuck with you even when you were not at Weisco, right? right? It, I got so frustrated, and then I would just go, okay, fine. And it took years. And then finally, as it kind of started to wear off a little bit, then I went back. And yeah. it's, been, it's been great to be able to go back. And there's still a few key people there at Weisco in Ohio, which is really cool. Still some of those people there. And then, of course, a lot of new ones. And uh, so, so that's been really cool. Can you talk about... Uh, I guess the evolution of Weisco because back in the day, Weisco's reputation, I think, was not that great. Like back when I was at Cycle News, right? Yeah, so I think they're the, known mostly for like big bore pistons. Right. And, stuff, and so, because they would have pistons for big bores, which now when you make a piston for a big bore, one of the problems is there's tons of other variables that can go wrong, not just the piston, because the power valve's got to be cut away from there. It's, mm -hmm. it's a larger, it's not intended to be that way, right? And then you have, uh, the engine builder that's setting it up and if it all gets set up correctly. So a lot of times there could be problems that weren't necessarily the piston's fault, but the piston's what's going to take the, it's going to take the abuse and what's going to look like, oh, that's what happened. It, you know, mm -hmm. caused a problem. Then as far as pistons go, the technology and the, you know, throughout, when I got there, so throughout the 90s, the mid to late 90s, we had, you know, you know, we started with Kawasaki with, uh, Yamaha with uh, Emig and then Kawasaki uh, with LaRocco and Emig and all those guys all running. We worked with Rick Ash and, and Butler and, 
different. Uh, so we had a lot of really good teams running two-stroke pistons, and the key is is setting it was just making sure they were set up at the proper you know uh, clearance. You know that would be a big thing. So throughout then, it was really cool to be able to have a lot of those top teams, and then. Uh, trickle over and see the success that it would that it brought um, but I think through the air-cooled times you know getting into that that was tough you know with mm -hmm. a forge piston and an air-cooled cylinder can be a little tougher and you need a little bit additional clearances but a forge piston is stronger and most all the race teams that were racing at the height of two strokes they were all running a forge piston whether it was from Wisco or from Japan mm -hmm. and back in the day yeah Man, like myself, you've seen the sport change, right? Like yeah. all two-stroke to four-stroke. And I mean, how has that affected your job? It's interesting. Well, first I'll talk about personal. <clears throat> so I, I will say back in uh, 02, 03, 04 in there, I was saying I'm going to buy three or four CR250s and leave them in the crate. <laughs> like I was seriously, yeah. <laughs> I said it. Like I'm, like, I'm never going to ride a four-stroke. Yeah. Like I was set on not riding. It was like me. I'm never going digital. <laughs> so I was never going to ride a four stroke. And then once I started riding one, I rode an 04 CRF 250, started getting a little bit better. They had some bog issues. We started working on, and I worked with Tom Morgan. He got that carburetor better. I was like, man, this thing's easier to ride. Mm -hmm. And I can, my lap times were better. I remember comparing, it was like, because on a YZ 400 at the time, you know, and, and then the CRF 450 that, you know, it was just too much and mm -hmm. I wasn't, and they were heavy. See, I thought the YZ 400 was sweet. Yeah. Right. But when they went YZ 426 and yeah. it got really hard hitting. Yeah. I crashed that thing so much. I, I hated the 426. Yeah. For me, the big ones were just too much and too heavy. So then I rode 250s and felt pretty good. And then I would modify and make big boards. And that was fun for stories because then we figured out with 254 strokes, guys like that size bike, but then they could make, if they could make a big board one, that was mm -hmm. cool. So and with carbureted bikes back then, as you know, that was the whole key. They were tough to start. You, you remember seeing the Geico team back there, you know, four guys push starting a bike before because the, the cams, if they modified the cams, it would be difficult for the auto decomp to start. So mm -hmm. you can remember the guys not making a main start because of the, the kickstart, you know. Um, and so we've seen that shift into EFI, uh, which has been awesome. I mean, it's like mm -hmm. who, who doesn't like the fuel injected bike? And you got that. 300 SX out there that's like that's a really cool bike yeah uh, and I think for guys that uh, now I'm seeing I, if if we had stayed on developing two strokes like and had that 15 20 years ago and we had not really rode four strokes but went from our YZ250s to that I think it would have been cool yeah. um, but now it's too much for me you know that's a that's a lot of bike but it's pretty cool I think a mm -hmm. guy that really likes two strokes is really good rider uh, can ride those well is going to be competitive with four fifties like at a vet race, no problem. Mm -hmm. I, I think. Um, have you guys spent much time on it yet? Um, we got it. Renee Garcia, our test rider, he rode a bunch. Fell in love with it. To be honest, I haven't taken it out yet. Yeah. Like, although we may be heading to the hills tomorrow yeah. or the next day, and I think that that's the bike of choice. Okay. Hopefully, I can go with you. We'll see where we're going. So we're yeah. going up north. You know, the unspeakable place. Okay. But uh, all right. <laughs> so when the world went four stroke like you're obviously a, a very skilled mechanic did you have to learn new things because yeah, i mean you know two stroke in and out oh like yeah it. so the first time i did a four stroke <clears throat> top end i just used the book i had the yz 426 whatever book there and i just followed it you know and yeah. and back then there really wasn't much there was no videos you know no two we weren't watching youtube you yeah know? so we weren't looking up uh, videos on yeah on the it. climber manuals yeah so and we'd be following the manual put it top dead center follow it so it, it did help me learn a lot and then the last few years last 10 or 15 years i have a good buddy brad 
who does mo most of my motors, I just have him do them, and he's really good at it and better than me, so that's been helpful. Mm -hmm. So um, that keeps keeps me time to do some of the basic, you know, stay busy with all my other stuff and putting, you know, putting engines in the chassis, getting them going, and and changing tires and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Uh, talk about your role at Dunlop then. So you obviously media service is part of it. But then I'll see you at the pro races, helping out sometimes. Yeah, I don't do too much. They they have a good crew at the pro race. I will help. Uh, <coughs> Brian runs the uh, the pro you know teams and, and as far mm -hmm. as fitment goes, and I'll help them out like you know before the supercrosses or before the nationals. I'll go go out with he comes out the week before. Help out at those. Uh, so I don't have to help out too much at the actual races. So they have a good crew that does that. Really good crew, and so. Um, mainly help out the media stuff and then all my bikes uh, that we build are, are all Dunlop and and, uh, and then just all the social and we do a tire change uh, video uh, it seems like every you know two or three a week for yeah people. I was gonna say like uh, like on your YouTube channel for, for instance how many tire change videos are in there? there there's like 30 or something <laughs> and on Instagram there's like over you know there's hundreds yeah so I you know it's still so weird to me is that like your method is still something I can't wrap my head around. I still do it the other way. So that and that's how Brian, that's how all the Dunlop guys do it. It's pretty much how I do them, and I yeah. try to do it that way because I figured when I started, I Brian came over. I go, hey, we're gonna start. I need to do it the way you're doing it, and that's how I just practiced over and over. And did you not do it that way prior? No. And so you I, did like me, where you pushed it off. Yeah. Okay. And and now so, it's it's so much better doing it the way we do them. Okay, so what we're talking about is Jay breaks the bead, brings it over the rim, flips it over, does the same on the other side, and leaves the tube in. Then, yeah. You know, what's funny is we never actually did our little race, right? Yeah. But like I used to be good at changing tires because when I started riding and racing moto in yeah. the 80s, uh, there was like, do you remember that period in our sport in Southern California where there was no legal place to ride? Yeah. You could only race right. at the tracks, right? So I would ride with my brother out in Mockingbird Canyon or... or uh, so you change your Van tire. Yeah. yeah. So I would Safe. race Ascot Friday night on a new tire take it off, put a beater tire on for Sunday. Right. And then like Wednesday, take it off, put the new tire back on until that tire became my beater tire. So I became pretty good at changing tires. Right. Like funny thinking back to when I first started doing it with screwdrivers, you know, Right. but I developed a technique that was pretty good, but like I could do a rear tire in under 10 minutes. That's great. You know, but since I broke both of my naviculars, like I have a hard time with the push down. Oh yeah. Right. So for me, I, I can't do it that quick anymore. Yeah. But my technique's way different than yours. I use, I sit on a bike stand and I use a Home Depot five gallon oh, bucket gosh. and I change it and I squeeze the tire between my knees and all that. Oh my gosh. But you know, I don't have a, I can't do it on a stand we'll, like you. What we'll do, we'll come in here, we'll have to do a side by side. So they have but I'm slow. I'm What's slow that? now because my wrist is working. I do, <laughs> have you seen, I did a, do a video, which is really cool. If anybody wants to look, we have a video, which is helpful for beginners. I did it blindfolded. Oh my God. So yeah. I did a full yeah, I'm tire. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I did a rear tire and it was an 18 inch tire and it was a, a MX 12, like a directional tire. So then I can mm -hmm. feel the direction. I did the entire thing completely <laughs> blindfolded and I did it in like uh, 12 or 13 minutes or something. Yeah. And, and, and that's talking and showing it. And I had all my tools over here. It was kind of fun. Yeah. Do you remember, uh, do you remember Marissa that worked at the yeah. pro shop at Milestone? Yeah. Like we shot a pinup with her. Yeah beautiful girl little probably 100 100 pound girl yeah could change a tire like that it would just show its technique not strength it's, you don't you yeah because obviously i'm not very strong and you don't have to be and she, and small girl and she was able to do it. it was pretty cool yeah i always wanted to do a how to change a tire video with her but yeah. it just never came together it would have been good but uh okay 
talk tires then, right? Mm -hmm. So, man, one thing, it's kind of uh, amazing to think that Bridgestone doesn't have presence. It's been a long time now, now, right? Like, remember Doug Shapinsky, like every race? And I think he's with Pirelli or something now. I'm not even positive, sure, but he's... But, okay, so Dunlop. Remember when Bridgestone went away? And Chad, everyone had to go Dunlop. Remember what a big deal Chad Reed made about Dunlops and hating the Dunlops right. and everything? Like, what was the hard thing for them to get used to? Because I know Bridgestones are softer sidewalls, so they were yeah, compliant. And more of that's on the pro side of things. And they would have some spec tires. <coughs> and some of the spec tires from Bridgestone, it, and most of it would come down to whoops and how that tire handled through the whoops. That mm-hmm. was a big thing. You know, and the, what they what the pro riders like through there that most of us would never be able to feel. Yeah. That, that, you know, with that, what's going to keep, keep them stable and still going forward without losing grip. So, so that's a big thing. I think, and within a f- couple years there, everything was pretty cool. I mean, it's, they, you know, they've far exceeded, I think, what everybody was hoping for with all the teams. And now we have basically everybody um, running in Dunlop. You know, they sweep every weekend, as you know. And yeah. So it, it's pretty cool. And it's, and it's nice to see additional development coming on. Like last summer, the big news was MX14. Mm-hmm. And everybody talked about that because that's a tire that uh, that I like. I like because I run MX12 and I ride at Glen Helen and Kuya mainly or the hill tracks, and I run it pretty much year round. And people go, "What about afternoon?" And I don't, I don't mm-hmm. ride in the afternoon. Yeah, anymore. yeah. You go to any track, and Jay's already there burning laps by the time you get there. Yeah, and he's gone before you finish your first moto. Yeah. So in and out early, and then people go, "Why is that? Why? Who goes wakeboarding or you know skiing?" in the afternoon when it's all choppy right yeah yeah so that's my logic is i want to go when it's kind of smooth and i'm still you know still riding glen helen glen helen when it's smooth is still a tough track and, and glen helen in the morning with the mx14 there's nothing better it's so cool right? and so we'll have the mx34 coming in the future uh this summer i think and so what that'll is be that then? that'll uh, replace mx33 so as our main oh, okay yeah as the as the main intermediate tire so that'll be mm-hmm. a big news so hopefully uh we'll see when that's coming um I, I, but th- that'll be a big a big a big news coming up. Does 14 work good at Kawea? It works great. is not ripped as deep as it used to be, but still no. plenty good early in the day for sure. Yeah. Still soft enough. It's funny the amount of interest and hype that the 14 generated. It, it was like, crazy. Like I've got a, a good friend. You know Louise, the little Korean girl yeah. that hangs out with me? Her dad has just been like, how do I get a hold of one of these tires? How do I get one? How do I get one? So that's when I got one for me yeah. to give to him. And yeah, he put it on and couldn't wait. And then didn't take it off and he went to some hard pack track right. up north and was like dude and that's what i was telling you with the, the key with those is and unlike your ascot days uh, in the 80s it's nowadays you can buy a wheel pretty reasonable mm. so i tell guys man get an extra wheel if you can afford it get an extra wheel with a you know sprocket rotor and everything so you can just you, you can you can even bring your 33 wheel for instance and have the 14 set up for the practice and first moto yeah that's what i do at glen helen yeah and that's the key and then you can run that 33 for the second moto and there was many motos where, where tomac didn't even bother switching you know for second moto when you they, they would make making a big deal about it in the the race they're like oh we're not sure if he's and he would just keep it on because he was used to it and that's what he's even running in colorado when he was practicing so mm-hmm. that was pretty cool okay uh there was a point in your life when you were a, a marathon runner, yeah. right? Talk about that a little bit. Well, I've always been, I always <clears> loved <throat> jogging and uh, was never very fast, but jogging, I always loved jogging. And then I uh, tore my ACL first mm-hmm. and Dr. Baum fixed that. And, uh, and then like eight, 10 months later, when I got back on the bike, I tore my Achilles really yeah, quick. Yeah, I remember the Achilles. Oh, and that was a killer. So I tore my Achilles and uh, having surgeries, as you know, sucks. And so... 
Um, and then, I, so within a year after the Achilles, I started being able to jog again. And then I go, man, I should just really get into this. And, um, and it was nice. And then I got to where I did, uh, yeah, in 03, I think it was. So, so now we're 20 years. I did a, a marathon and did it at 340, which is really cool in Utah. And then uh, I did a f- couple, probably three half marathons. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's been really cool. But since then, I just keep having little injuries. And they're mainly foot-related, mm-hmm. which means it's really difficult to stay running. And then, of course, keeping the weight off makes it tougher, too, without being Mountain able to bike. Get Yeah, I know. And it's like I can't, I can't get into it. And I know this guy's it's changed his life dramatically and i see the people that uh, wait why much, can't you get into it? it there's just various reasons but the the, pro- the biggest problem i have is is that time of especially because it's difficult right from my house so i'd have to load up and go and it's like if i'm going to load up and go then i want to ride a motorcycle that's my problem it's like mental it's like i want to go then i might as well just go ride my dual sport or you know my trail bike or go to the track and i'm busy that's another problem is i'm busy and so, so with jogging it was nice because i just got up run out of your driveway just run out of the driveway you get it done you do a 40 minutes you don't live that far from greer ranch i know it's right there there's and we just discovered this other place to ride in menifee too the, the one over by the crosses yeah yeah that's popular i've been up there and uh my buddies and i know guys who built a lot of those little those those jumps and stuff and the other problem i have when i'm on a mountain bike and i head to a jump face is i twist right here <laughs> Takes a little while. Get used oh to. my god! And it's hard to trust the tire that's two inches wide. Oh, yeah. You know? So I, I just kind of think the ship has sailed. Even and then the everybody's like at the e-bike thing. And the problem with the e-bike thing is then I need to be out twice as long to get that much of a workout. You know, yeah. it's like and so I don't and I don't like I'm and I'm also paranoid of getting hurt doing something other than riding moto. Mm. I want to get hurt just doing moto. I don't want to get hurt, but if I get hurt, I want it to be on on a bike. See that it's funny because it's changed for me, right? So like. <laughs> I started riding mountain bikes eight years ago, yeah. mostly to walk, well, to improve my health because my doctor said I was going to have to take all these pills. But then I was like, oh, this would be good training for moto, right? Right. Well, now I can ride moto as long as I really want to. Like, I could probably ride one of your motos with you. Yep. But when I'm riding my motocross bike now, I go, dude, it's way too much exposure to potential crashes and injury, and I won't be able to ride my bicycle. Wow. So I pull off the dirt bike. Yeah, we was talking about my long motos. I so I like Glen Helen. I like to do forty to fifty minute motos uh, typically. That's what mm-hmm. I. And so that's when fun. you're doing these motos, are you trying as hard as you can the whole time? Or no, are you pacing. No, it and it'll go throughout the moto. It'll change a little bit, especially if I see somebody, uh, or somebody passes me, and I go, I think I could stay with that guy, you know, and I'll I'll stay with him for a while, you know, and then mm-hmm. I'm picking it up. Obviously, if he passed me, then it gives me something to to look at. So you you know maybe part of it, you know, you're riding it 90 percent, and then. There's parts where you're riding at 100, percent you know, mm-hmm. and maybe for 10 minutes straight, and then that guy pulls off. Okay, then you're cruising, and you maybe you're going a little slower, you know, and shaking out the, the arm pump a little <laughs> bit, and you know, but uh, it, to me, it's really fun to be able to do those long motos. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, it, it's it's nice to do it while you can. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how did you evolve into this dirt bike TV thing? Like, obviously, Instagram's something we all kind of mess with, and yep. it's a pastime. And I remember when you first opened your. Uh, Instagram account you used to go, dude. It was when I was really into playing practical po- joke posts on Charles Dow. You're all, dude. Like, you gotta mellow out that stuff because me and my kids look at it. You know, like I remember I had one with a doctor like looking in someone else's butt or something, and I said, "This is Charles Dow doing this and that." But I mean, all of a sudden you have this gigantic account. Did you make a conscious decision like, hey, I'm going to be the social media powerhouse? No, or did it just kind of organic? Yeah, it, it just started to grow. And Spencer, <clears throat> my son, helped a lot with 
He's like, I think, because once it started to roll a little bit, he's like, this can get going. When we first started it, we even lost our first account, signed it. My buddy helped me with his kid, dirt.bike.tv, lost that we'd posted 10 posts. And I'm like, no one cares about this. This is stupid or whatever, right? And uh, we lost the sign-ins for that. We, that's things still out there. So we made a new one and then started posting more regularly. And I saw that, um, I, I did see that I think a lot of companies would value what social media could do. And of course, that's happened a lot that companies value that. And I'm sure you guys even use that as part of your guys' whole uh, campaign for companies you work with. You know, you're going to promote them when you talk about anything else. And that, that's become a big thing. And I think uh, that showing your value socially is going to be a big deal. I'm, I'm surprised, you know, what I, some, I don't follow NASCAR much, but when I saw a post from a guy, a NASCAR racer, who's a pretty top guy, I looked at his following, it was pretty low. I'm like, mm -hmm. and that's where it's nice to see, you know, people like the Deegans and uh, Travis, you know, getting in when they when they're in NASCAR. NASCAR is realizing the value of bringing some of, you know, those some of those type of people into their sport. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's a there's just a really big value there, and it's in and there's no way around it right now. So, um, I don't I don't keep much personal on there. It's all just shop and bike yeah. related. So that's been good, and 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 my son and daughter and my wife all help with different aspects of. Everybody kind of helps with that and. Um, does certain you know certain things, but I do most of it, I guess. But they help with a lot of that, and then Spencer helps a lot with the editing and video mm -hmm. stuff. So that that's a really big help. And we do we do reply to everybody. We try to get everybody to email us, and mm -hmm. so every DM and everything we we answer everybody. And if it's difficult, we they say hey email us because I can type way better than I can with my thumbs yeah, answer a DM. Phone. And then the problem is you start DMing and they're asking you all these twenty questions. It, when and what what happens? We've also created this really cool thing. When they email us, I send them back this Google Doc that has all these different topics of things we've answered. Oh, it's crazy! So it's a huge Google Doc that has answers to tons of things that pe other people have asked similar questions, and so that'll help them get get going with the different links that we have. So um, the whole premise of Jay's channels is how to right, like how to do this on your bike, how to make this better, how to perform this task efficiently and easily right and you're really good at it it's funny because we've we've used you to help with some of our how-to videos yeah. and you're just like you already know line up the tools you need and there's never any second take you, you just spit it out obviously you're comfortable at it or you're comfortable and familiar with it yeah um it's funny because like youtube is such a resource right like for how to do anything yeah um i think the first time i really realized that is uh we had thanksgiving at my house like <laughs> however many years decade ago right and my wife cooked the turkey and my cousin used to always come over with her electric knife and cut the turkey and she wasn't there that year so you and my wife's all you're gonna have to cook the turkey and i'm like i don't know how to do that so like i literally <laughs> went on youtube and wrote how to carve a turkey right and i had it propped up against this candle and i'm like pushing play and pause yeah. and everything but it's like well you can learn anything on youtube it's, it's what like we do. i've i've learned how to do pretty much everything on, i mean and the funny thing is the things that are on there right yeah like sometimes i'll get sucked into the youtube black hole yeah and like there's some guy that made some video like how to wash the inside of your windshield more effectively right that one's really good millions of views i'm like yeah. what the heck you know but they use a soft uh, squeegee <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. I got one. <laughs> but uh but you really found a niche there, right? Like how to do different things. So have these companies that you work for seen value in your channel and utilizing them in your videos and stuff? Yeah. And has that helped 
uh, you negotiate your compensation for greater than just representation with the media. Yeah, I think so. And it just helped me keep me relevant, I guess. I think mm -hmm. if I hadn't have done this, I'd be kind of, <clears throat> I'd gone the way of like the print media side thing of things mm -hmm. where it's, you know, you can't just stay. If I had stayed and, and refused to do the social media and not built YouTube, I think I probably wouldn't have. I'd probably be doing something in the industry, but not as much as I'm able to do now because you have to keep yourself relative and, and show a value there. And so I think that's been helpful to be able to do so that, so in some ways I'm providing more, uh, and, but I still have a good job, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's, so that part's nice. So it's good to work with good companies and that value what you do. Yeah. You know, it's funny is, uh, when Transworld was purchased, we got let go. Uh, I was a good friend, Chad Smart, that runs a uh, sheet metal business yeah. in, in Corona Baghouse. And he told me, Donnie, go buy this book, Who Moved My Cheese? Yeah, I've, I've right? read that, yeah. So it's this book, uh, and it's analogies, right? These yep. two mice and everything. It's like, But the premise of the book is you can never be complacent and satisfied with your success. You have to always stay abreast of the trends and the changing times. And it's funny because, so I read that, and I was like, nah, I had to read about some mice. But then it sunk in. I'm like, okay. But even in the last three and a half years we've been doing Swap Moto Live, things have changed again, right? right? Yeah. It's like, magazines don't matter anymore. I mean, I'm sorry, Mark Tilly. I love you. You're my buddy. But magazines don't matter. And it's almost to the point where websites don't matter as much. It's all YouTube and it's social media. It's, it's crazy. I don't know. Yeah, well, and, and I remember talking to you right after you left uh, Transworld and, you know, wishing you the best. And I was surprised that you didn't have anything set up. And and, and, it, and it took a little bit for you to figure out what was going to happen with this. And I thought it was pretty cool that you're able to land on your feet and make this happen with, with the, all the good dudes that you that you have. So mm -hmm. it's, been, it's been really cool. But I remember right after, and I thought for sure you had something, and there wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to say the rug was pulled out from under me was... Yeah understatement right like i mean we we're the number one motocross magazine in the world we're the number one magazine in the company you know i had been bought five times previous and nothing ever changed i wasn't even going to go to the town hall meeting you know to meet the new boss and I, my boss was like you better come my head and i'm like oh something's going on you know but like i literally didn't know what i was going to do well and that gives a good example with how successful that magazine was if that magazine was at uh Racer X or, you know, the Coombs family or with High Torque, mm -hmm. those are privately owned companies. You would have been fine because you guys yeah. were, but these big companies expect way more, mm -hmm. uh, you know, bang for their buck or whatever, right? They're, they're just expecting more. And which is a bit unfortunate because it's like, it's obviously fine for the magazines that are there. And now they all have to maintain sites and social and YouTube as well now. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's, you would have been fine at, if you were privately owned, you know, yeah. you know, it's the same thing happened with, with dirt rider with, with Peterson and with all them. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy to think how much everything has changed. Right. Right. I don't know. But, um, okay. So another thing that you are big in is like building these project bikes, mm -hmm. not only for magazines and stuff to test, but like, what do you do? Go on. I know it was probably the recycler early on. Yeah. But you have this knack for buying pieces of junk bikes, right? Well, and you fix them up. You're trying to get them cheap. But so I, I do two things. I, I work with a lot of like current 23 bikes because mm -hmm. I like to ride. I like to ride new bikes. And yeah. so we had the luxury of, I just bought a 23 350 XCF for me. 
kind of my favorite bike because mm -hmm. it does everything well. And then uh, you, a lot of times I can get a loaner bike to use for different motocross things, build it, use it for six months, and then give it back. And mm -hmm. that's been really nice. I work, work with shops or the OEMs, and to be able to do those kind of things is really cool. Um, so working with new bikes is probably my favorite. And then the, <coughs> old, the older bikes are, are cool but take way more. Like I could do three or four new bikes Mm -hmm. to one old bike build you know easy you know yeah you know the, you know it's so it's it's a lot of work we just shot that kx 125 and the, brent did most of the work on that but i did a lot to help finish it up and it's just way more work when you finish up these old bikes um you know just you know when you powder coat the frame you take everything down and then when you have 20 year old 25 year old suspension um i'm building these three bikes right now with uh I'm building 395 cr 250s at one time three mm -hmm. i have three engines done three frames done everything Okay, I have three sets of suspension done that Race Tech did. It took me seven sets of suspension to make three. Oh, because the parts are scarce. Yeah. And so if something's broken inside or the too worn out, and of two of those sets, we had to hard anodize because the insides were worn out, as you know. Mm -hmm. So so it takes a lot of parts in these older bikes to it, – it's not as easy as a lot of people think. And a lot of these parts are becoming really scarce on mm – -hmm. you think that a 95 or up to – even a 05, 95 to 05, you think, oh, there's going to be – plenty of parts available there's there's not yeah you need you need an air boot or whatever or you know uh anything to do with an air box all, all it, even transmission gears all the stuff's not available anymore so and it's it's going to get worse and worse because now more people are starting to do it since uh, since covid people have started to want to fix up bikes and mm -hmm. people even that don't even live in california that aren't building them for a, a media outlet they're building them for themselves and posting on their own social and we worked with some really good guys i got a good buddy uh, michael fisher in nebraska built some bikes with him and of course, Brent Griffiths in Vegas. Uh, so we work with some of these other guys, and uh, it's been nice to be able to see what other people do. They mm -hmm. can do it all there. Uh, but you, when you build these, you got to be careful that you get them cheap enough. You want to get them cheap because it, it might be a total loss. You know. <laughs> you know, uh, what's kind of funny is like, as a kid, well, like I'm sure you have one, right? There's always one bike you wanted but never got right yeah like for me it was the 1986 kawasaki takati 250 right. three wheeler right, right. Those were because cool. i started on three wheelers right the 83 84 85 all had the radiator located on the handlebars okay right and then it went down moto style and then in 86 maybe i had the years wrong but it went moto style right yeah and that was so sick. But at that time, quads came out, and my dad was all, this is lame. Right. And so I quit, right? But I've always wanted that Takati. And uh, when eBay was still popular, I remember I found one on eBay, and I was bidding for it. <laughs> and I, I had the money, and I was like, okay, okay. And I was watching it in the last, like, two minutes going down, and I was had my finger on the re refresh to see, like, and I could have won that thing, right? Totally could have won it. And right at the last second, I'm like, wait a sec. <laughs> what am I going to do with this thing? Right. I'm not going to ride it. And where right. am I going to put it? And it takes up three times as much room as a dirt bike. Right. So then I didn't. And then the guy lost it. But uh, it's funny to think, like, I still want it. Like, there's there's a brand new one at Kawasaki. And I was there the other day with John Rawl. And I was like, can I see the Ducati? <laughs> and I sat on it. And I was like, oh, yeah. I would have fun with this, but like, was there a bike like that in your life? And then have you bought it and restored it and sold it? I haven't really done any that I dreamed of, but like, I, I like the, uh, the early, um, the blue, 
Suzuki's, you know, like 89 RM250s. Those, mm. those looked cool um, in there. And so part of me is not too too held up on the exact nostalgic. I had a 78 RM80 mm. as a kid. I probably wouldn't mind fixing one of those up. But then I'm so not attached to the bikes, you know, that I probably would build it and then just end up selling it. Because, like, I know when we built you that RM250, you were thinking you were going to keep it, and then you rode it. Yeah, dude. Okay. That was a story itself, right? right? Yeah, because that bike had been stolen, got back, and then you go ride it afterwards. And you're like, I'm not. Gonna I mean, we built this. that thing, yeah, and it was mint. It was because it wasn't in bad shape because it like no. got blown up or something, right? Yeah. So we built this ARM 250. It was the sickest looking thing ever. Yeah, like powder coated frame and Bill's ported a cylinder, yeah, and cone pipe, and I raced at the two stroke nationals, <laughs> and I was sitting there after the race. And I was looking at it, and I'm like, man, I almost died like 10 times. <laughs> Not that I did, but it's like the aggression you have to race a two-stroke with is right. so much higher. It's it's tough. And I was like, hmm, I don't know. And that's why. And this... that was a bike I owned, right? Yeah. That's like the last bike I've owned personally. Right. And I put it on my Instagram story, and I wrote, anyone want to buy this? Dude, Brent Griffiths, within five minutes required. Is this available, sir? I want it. <laughs> well, no way. So that's how I met him right. and became a good friend with him, but... And and that's really cool. And I think I think that's that's what's tough about the the bikes nowadays is that they're so good. It's hard to ride something that's not as good. Mm-hmm. And if you're used to riding, you know, a brand new KX450 that's got fuel injection and great suspension, you're like, man, this is so nice and good brakes that stop. You're like, this is this. It's hard to go ride something that's that's worse. And that that's why I think that new generation KTM uh, 300 SX. And also, they have a 250 SX that a lot of people are telling me I haven't ridden that one yet. Mm-hmm. That that's a lot better feeling. You know, not as scary on the track. So. Um, I think that generation bike might be a little more friendly for us to try. Yeah. So, um, who is your current client list right now? Uh, I work with a bunch of great companies, but of course the, the RWB group, that Wisco Pro X, uh, JE and Recluse, that group, mm-hmm. Dunlop, uh, FMF, mm-hmm. like Ricky Bobby, FMF shirt on here. Uh, FMF has been great and it's, it's nice to work with great companies like that. Um, Kemetic, I've been with a long time and they bought, uh, clots, uh, recently, uh, oil, um, Kemetic, uh, works connection, uh, uni, I know you guys use a lot. Um, uh, Onyx off-road, uh, great company and Cardo systems. They make talking, uh, through the, so we, through the trail riding stuff we do a lot of, especially in the summer, mm-hmm. we've worked in some of those kind of companies, which has been really cool. Hey, that was Cardo. Mm-hmm. they do a licensed KTM version or something. There's somebody on Instagram that keeps DMing me, you want to test this KTM Cardo systems? Mm. And I'm like, well, I don't want to test the KTM one. Like, <laughs> I'm like, if I was going to test one, I'd test the all-encompassing one. They're, they're really cool. I, I, don't, I don't know how well it would, if, if, there's, if there'd be some applications for a mountain bike or not, but it's really cool because... Um, no, I don't, you wear AirPods when you ride bicycle or nothing? You don't, you don't do nothing. I don't, don't want to. Like, I get pissed when you see those guys with the Bluetooth speaker. Right. It's like, yo, I'm in nature, enjoying outside. Yeah. Why do I want to listen to your shitty music? You it's know? a blasting. Yeah, that's yeah. That, that's probably not too cool. I agree with that. Yeah, we get, we get that enough, like, on the lake and stuff in the summer. Yeah. Um, so that that's it as far as we represent? Y- yeah. Um, I'm sure I forgot somebody. I'm sorry if I did. So your lubricants is? Oh, ODI bars. Okay. ODI bars, worst connection. And ODI has been great. Uh, and I love the lock on grips, man. It's like, it's changed my life. I, I was a long, it took me a long time to switch. And then no once I started getting into KTMs, I was like, these aren't so bad. You know, I always thought yeah. they were too thick, oh. but 
compared oh, to a great. Oh, dude, the new Emic Pro. Yeah, this is the best grip you can get. Right. Yeah. So good. So. Um, lubricant. So it's just clots. Clots, and then, um, uh, yeah, just they're the only lubricant company. But I use, I just use regular oil on most of my stuff, you know. And then, but as far as two-stroke oil, I use theirs and mm-hmm. the contact cleaner and things like that. Do they still make the Octane Booster? Yeah, they still do. And and some, what do you call it? Kozak was the one we'd additive. We'd use it Mammoth. But now VP's up there with good fuel. That's yeah, high, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's, that's oxygenated for up there. You know, it's really good. So the, back in the day in the 80s, right? You know, uh, when I was able to drive, I'd go to the bike shop and just like look for things to buy. I bought Klotz Octane Booster. Yeah. And I put it in my gas without telling anyone. Like, just thinking it's going to make my bike so much faster. And I had a Kawasaki Takati, you know, the yeah. green tank. Turned my tank brown. <laughs> so my brother used to call it Klotz Tank Browner, right? <laughs> I'm sure they've changed it over the years. I don't know. I think it, I think this stuff's tough on, yeah, you'd want to put it on a black tank. I think yeah. you'd want to make sure you're in it. <laughs> and I just remember, I was like, oh. And then I had to order this seat racing tank cover. <laughs> to cover it like, up. Like, cover the, you know, it's funny. It I connected remember, on yep. with like elastic. Velcro. Yeah. No, elastic Ela- yeah. snaps underneath the tank. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's a long way. So yeah, work with some, it's it's awesome to work with good companies that, that are around for a long time and, and, and it's cool. And it helps me keep doing what I'm doing. And um, and then on the, the social side of things, it's really cool because we deal with people from all across the world. You know, mm-hmm. one of the simplest things we do that that you and i post I, unfortunately i post it every day is a tire stand we make we have these tire stand drawings so one mm-hmm. of our followers because i showed a video on how to make one and then one of the followers a guy from minnesota he jurgensen was his name he drew the whole thing out perfectly mm-hmm. so we have the drawings that we can email you and we get we get pictures i i probably send out 10 to 20 a day emails. really 20, 10 to 20 a day all through the through the world and then i get i get probably not everyone sends a picture when it's done but I probably get uh, at least one or two back a day. Oh wow! From people throughout the world with their pictures of their stand and are and any we, of them any of them super deviated janky? Yeah, yeah, some of it been some have been janky, and some are kind of funny to show that they've built it off of a they have like a tractor wheel as a base or something. They they've modified things. Most of them try to do it pretty inexpensively and use scraps, and so mm-hmm. they'll use some scrap pieces that are kind of funny. And, uh, and there's been some ones that are way better than what I have, like. Guys have machi- guys are amazing machinists and welders <laughs> that have made some really high quality ones. So, and then that's, there's that's not an easy task to take on because you need to be able to weld, right? right. And, and it, so I always tell them, hey, if you got a buddy that welds or a brother-in-law, so everybody emails us on those, and that's been really a cool thing because we get, I mean, we got guys in every <coughs> one day. One, I'll get I got an email from a guy in Russia and a guy in Ukraine, same day, no way. With, with picture of their stands built and then their bikes, you know, so. So we try to post these guys. So it's really neat to see throughout the world um, that people just want to ride dirt bikes. And it's cool to see all these different people emailing us on that stuff. So Or you get an orange Home Depot bucket. Right. <laughs> Most of the emails I get asking for it are saying, I want to get off the bucket. They, they want yeah. to. Yeah. They're like, can build one. So No bucket life. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to hit you with some best of questions. Yeah. As a very seasoned mechanic guy. Best tire iron. Uh, Motion Pro, this, they're just the regular basic spoon, you know, the tire spoon, not the one with the handle. We'll use those if we're doing mousses, but just regular basic spoon. That's weird that you say that, right? Because I've never wrapped my head around the spoon. Mm-hmm. Well, my toolbox was stolen a few years ago, so I lost it. But I had a tire iron I had bought when I worked at Pasadena Honda. <laughs> 
Kowal was the name. Yeah. K O W A. Yeah. That one worked so great for me. And it was pointed actually, rounded point. Yeah. But uh the new ones say show on it, but it's not the same show as a suspension, I assume. No. But and the the spoon, it fits right over the lip and it won't go in far like that one you had. That one you yeah. had could go in too far yeah, with a pinch the, tube. Yeah, so it's uh, you know, obviously you can still pinch a tube with a motion pro one, uh, and it still happens. So it's the best just to be careful and and though I like those the best. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, best, uh, best chain lube views. So believe it or not, and there's a really good video online from a guy named Fortnite who has a huge following on YouTube. And I've, I've known this for years. I, I don't use chain lube itself because it's too nasty and I feel like it attracts more dirt and it gets, especially out West here, we get a lot of sand grit in there that it really grinds in and it hurts the chain. So oil to me, oil is the best chain. So we learned this whenever you'd have a blown countershaft seal so mm-hmm. your countershaft's leaking oil your chain was always lubed perfectly like that was just right and so <laughs> uh, oil to me the oil is the best and that and there's a good video that i have a link to on our google doc and all that from this this fort nine he tested like 20 different lubes from wd-40 to regular all these different chain lubes and and then oil and he came up with the oil was the best one and he did it very scientifically and tested fling off tested the all these different things so it reiterated what i already knew and i saw this a few years ago like four or five years ago he had it up and then i'm like yeah we already knew that so it's kind of so cool. are you using like motor oil yeah just motor oil um what, what weight oh like 85 like a gear oil uh-huh. and then and and at, at the track we, we will just use like a w40 or any type of penetrating lube like mppl from maxima their mppl is really good um mm-hmm. as a lube uh, i just use that and it no doesn't way. make as much mess my chains last just as long or longer I feel like, and so that MPPL is a good one uh, to use, and it way less cleanup. So try that. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I just find it's way easier and better. And mo, mo, no teams don't use chain lube, but they also don't care about how you know they're changing chains every weekend. But for regular guys, it's, it's better. And then even with X ring chains uh, or O ring chains, you don't want to have a chain lube on there, especially because it gets more dirt in there between for those 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 uh, rubber O rings. Wow. Um. Best bike ramp. Because I've seen you use a wood one. I still have, I have a couple wood ones. I like the wood ones. I can't remember the company that sells the, the metal piece that you, you drill the holes in the wood. And I still have a couple of those. But believe it or not, I still, I still have, and I have to give credit to a Fly. I have a Fly. I have two Fly ones mm-hmm. that have to be 12 to 15 years old from when they first started making hard parts. And I have one in my van and one in my truck. And those things, they fold. But I've learned the trick is never to fold them because it's kind of dangerous, you know. So I always leave mm-hmm. them long, and then because I'm the way I drive, if I fold them, then when I get there, they're way up at the front. I have to jump in there and get it. So if I leave it long, I can pull it out. And so I've liked those. I don't like the ones with a lip on them because yeah. the lips are more dangerous, you know. Yeah. And I know you you've had some of... issues with falls, half naked and stuff on bikes. So for me, that's the best one. Oh, are you talking about my bumper rack? Yeah. Story. Yeah. Well, that was no good. Um. Yeah, you know what my favorite ramp is? is made by DRC in Japan, uh-huh. and Langston imports them. It's half plastic and half aluminum. I think I've seen it. I think it's decent, and it's decently wide. It's a wide. folder, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one's good. Yeah. Okay, what's, what's been the best junk bike to buy and resell? Because I think you had a long string with CRF250Rs. Yeah, over the years, what, what happened during the... So from like 09 to 11, in there when the, that housing crash in California, I was buying CRF 250Xs. 
for mm. really cheap. We, we would buy really clean ones from these construction guys or whoever didn't have money no more. And they were selling their toy hauler and everything. And we'd buy them from 900 to 1500 bucks these bikes mm-hmm. and i had like seven of them when they were 33 133 233 we, we had we had every number in there right and uh i had like seven of these things at one time and then i end up selling them all i did stories with them we rode them we beat on these things and these were what spencer and i trail rode with for a few years and uh and then i end up selling them all for you know four to five grand when the economy picked up so uh-huh. I, did, I did pretty good selling those things a few years i kept them for four or five years and then would would slowly sell them off and now we all have better trail bikes but we those were really fun and then any any uh two stroke especially 250 nowadays if you can find a good uh you know 95 to 05 04 250 mm-hmm. you'll, you'll do fine if you can get it cheap enough to fix it and do a a cleanup with it but i tell guys be careful how much you because if you buy a bike for two or three grand as a core it's going to take three to five grand to make it decent. So then you're like, well, I could have just bought a YZ250. <laughs> you know? So you got to be careful. You need to get this donor bike for under $1,500, preferably under $1,000 to start by tell people. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about gas cans? What's your, been your best gas can? You have that really cool metal one. I like that. But I, I mainly just use the VP jugs. Uh, yeah. They've been great. I um, got a ticket yeah. leaving Milestone. <laughs> For having a VP can. I can't believe that. Yeah, no. Like, there was a cop waiting at the top, and he wrote like four or five tickets to people. I can't believe that, that they would be. And I think times have changed since then. Uh, I think since things have laxed a bit. Mm-hmm. with. Well, no, because like you can't, like you go to an auto parts store, oh, no. right? And the, the gas jugs that are approved yeah. have all that stupid. It's terrible. You have to drill all that, stuff, yeah. take all that stuff out. But the, the VP jugs have been good, and they're not really approved for gas. You know, they're just Yeah, yeah, jugs. that's what I mean. They're utility cans. Your utility cans. But the gas can, that the metal one that you're talking about, yeah, you can buy it on Amazon, and it's a diesel can. The thing's so cool. Yeah. yeah. But actually, I've graduated to uh, risk raising. Okay. They make this cool, like, can, but it comes with a. A tin thing that you actually screw into the base of your van. Like for me, I have it in my van. Oh, and it stays there. And it goes ka-tunk. And so there's no chance of it falling I'll over. I'll have to check that out. But yeah, that one's pretty cool. All right, so you do these videos with uh, people that come to your house to have a tire installed. Right, right, right. Who's been your best guest on that series? Uh, Twitch. Twitch, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Huge traffic with that, I'm sure, right? Yeah, yeah. And what was nice about it, we kept it somewhat PG because he had his daughter with him, who was only like 15 or something at the time. Yeah. So that was nice. Um, Is he the most high-profile guy you've had in come in? Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeremy's been over and Emig and, you know, no current guys because we're mainly dealing with guys that are, you know, out of it, I guess. So uh, Buttery comes over. uh, Good dudes. So it's it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. how did Buttery get on the program, the Jay Clark program? I don't remember how it totally worked I think out. He probably met you at our shootout or something. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember how we initially did it. The first thing, the funny thing is, I had no idea because when social was kind of, I wasn't that into it. We were at Paula, and I was filming these guys goofing around in the pits, and I thought they were just like, like this is stupid. Like, what are these guys doing? And and then when I posted something, somebody says that's Buttery, and I'm like, what's what's that? You know, I didn't even know what it was or who it was, and I find out. And then him and um, and uh, and Eli, they're just really cool, and they're actually really nice and very respectful and really mm-hmm. great. So they do have a fun time, and uh, uh, you know, they do some crazy stuff, but they also are you know pretty good guys. So mm-hmm. they're, they're finding a good niche, and it's been cool. It's funny that 
the thing I tell people is like, dude, Buttery is way more intelligent than you would expect him to be, like from the yeah. persona he puts out. But yeah, he's a smart guy. Yeah, and and you know, I think he's you know he's calculated at what he's doing and and having you know having a good time. And uh, but uh, you know, there you gotta be careful because you know you you know they you know Deegan got as big as he was for a few reasons, but also those injuries that you mm-hmm. can. You know, we talk, you know, I think Brian even talks about that. That's kind of what helped build him and what built Militia and different things was it wouldn't be half as gnarly and cool if you didn't have those cool scar videos and, and stuff that he, he didn't do it by, you know, choosing that, but that's how it worked out, you mm-hmm. know? And so uh, there, there's a gnarly factor there. What, what it's pretty dangerous, what a lot of the stuff they're doing is. And so as long as kids, if people are watching that kind of stuff or realizing, Hey, it's kind of funny to laugh at, but you don't want to go try jumping a, you know, uh, uh, you know, close to the freeway and jumping over fences and different things that, it, you know, it's there's there's some consequences to pay for that stuff. Okay, you did a video uh, talking about all your chemicals one time, right? Oh yeah. So, what is the best non-traditional motocross chemical that you use to wash and maintain your bike? Uh, scrubbing bubbles. That's the one I get a lot because we can buy four cans at Costco. It's pretty cheap. It's an aerosol, right? Yeah, and it's in it, and it foams up, and it's really light. Uh, not aggressive on the bikes as far as like staining some others. I don't, I don't mention names, but someone can stain stuff, especially when it's hot. And in the summer, I find it's best to get your bike wet first. If you spray stuff right on it, um, sometimes that can be a little bit more aggressive on mm-hmm. the, the, you know, especially anodized stuff like your hubs. That's a big common one. Guys write me, they, they stain their hubs with their, with their cleaner. So uh, scrubbing bubbles is a real, uh, so that's one. designed to spray inside a toilet bowl, right? Right. So it has a small amount of uh, bleach in it, I'm sure, a small amount, but it's it's pretty safe, um, comparatively speaking, you know. So we'll use that, and I usually I power wash the bike, and then I'll spray scrubbing bubbles, and we'll scrub the seat and the frame, those kind of things with, with it. So that works better than, like, Simple Green? Yeah, and it, I think it smells better and less hassle, and it's being in that aerosol can is really nice. Um, so I think it's just a little easier for myself, I think. And I think it's cheaper, but I haven't really compared, but I think the cans are like, it, you know, this is before COVID pricing, but it was like 10 or 12 bucks for four, you know? So it was pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. And so, and we have, I have 40 or so at the house. I bet we see we get, we had to buy a grip of them during the uh, shortage. So well, like toilet paper, right? everything, it was crazy. So yeah, we couldn't get scrubbing bubbles. We weren't gonna be able to wash bikes. Okay. There's some specialty tools in motocross. Made for a specific task. What is the best specialty tool you have in your garage? Oh, one of the coolest ones is the one that holds the sprocket stuff. It's very small. Like the guy doesn't even have a website or anything, and they sell them through Rocky Mountain, but they make a front sprocket holder. It's, and it's and it the the logo and everything is punched on, like hand like handmade. They're yeah. handmade, dude, and they've cut them out of aluminum. And they've handmade these things, and it, hold, and it has 13 tooth, 14 tooth. You can adjust it by moving these pins, and mm-hmm. uh, that's just a really cool tool. So it that hold, is to hold the sprocket while you're loosening it or it, tightening it? Yeah, loosening or tightening it. So when you have your chain off, you can put your front sprocket on, and it'll hold it right there and goes goes around your swing arm you know, guide, and it holds it there, and, you can, and you're not tweaking your – no one's holding over your brake, or you're not having to put pressure against your transmission. Mm-hmm. So you can bike can be a neutral, and you're cranking that thing and get it tight. It's really cool. 
Well, I would have... I would have bet money that you were going to say the Motion Pro Bead Buddy. Right, that, that's very that helpful. Thing is a lifesaver. It is a lifesaver. That's very helpful. I was just this sprocket. The, the sprocket holder is unique. Not a lot of people have them, and a lot of people just make do without them. And it's like fifteen bucks. It's mm-hmm. like so. It's cheap. It's not like it's not very expensive. And so it's that's kind of nice. It might be twenty or something. I don't know. Yeah. But I ha- I have a couple of them, and now I've bought and. That's they're nice. That's and funny that it's like hand punched on. It, it is, and it's really old school. I think they've been around forever. I think they're made down in San Diego area somewhere, but I don't know for sure. But it, yeah, like they're not really in distribution or anything, and, and so no one really knows about them. Yeah, nice. Well, man, I think I'm out of questions. Is there anything you want to add? No, it's been fun. Like, uh, you know, I, uh, I think we covered everything. So it's funny because yeah. you're you're. A, you're like one of those behind-the-scenes guys, right? That everybody knows of you. Yeah. And like, oh, that's Jay. Jay, well, who does Jay work for? Well, he works for a lot of people. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun getting to know you over the past 30 years. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been awesome. And it's cool to see all the different places that we've all worked. And, and it's been cool to see that what this has grown into. And, and seeing the new place here is awesome. So it's cool that you got a new facility. So your third place in... Mm. And so hopefully you'll be able to stay here a while, I think. This, this should be a good fit. Yeah, we signed a three-year lease. Three, three years. Instead of two yeah. years. So this will be your, your longest for sure. So. Yeah. And uh, hopefully this works because this is an awesome place. So yeah. that you got plenty of room for bikes and for shooting everything, and it'll be, it'll be cool. So. Okay, so TV or YouTube.com slash TV. Yeah, DirtBikeTV is, is YouTube, and then TV one is uh, Instagram. And then, uh, and our website now is Dirt Bike TV One. So oh, we have a we- yeah, we- website. We now. changed it. Yeah, it used to be Jay Clark, in, in, and we didn't really do much with it, mm-hmm. but we actually have a website up now. And that's, that's where you could put your your tire change blueprints. Yeah, it, it's easier just to have people email me because they they get this whole like thing like that has all the links to everything like in one place. Yeah. All right. And then they get signed up for my newsletter too, which we haven't really done one yet, but we figure someday we're going to do a someday, newsletter. Right? Yeah. yeah. We have, we have a big newsletter subscription list. Yeah. I'm like, I think Anton's written a couple, but I certainly haven't. You guys haven't done one yet. It, it's a good way to connect with your people, but uh, you guys are doing so much content, uh, you know, every week that I don't know how anybody's not aware of what you're doing. So yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Jay, thanks for coming on. You guys, thanks for uh, listening or watching. The uh, midweek podcast presented by Yoshimura. We'll see you next time.